Hey everybody, welcome back to Crafted on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today we've got my friend and Blister member and extremely accomplished artist and designer Jeff McFetridge on Crafted And as we promised on Monday, this conversation is going to be focused a whole lot more specifically on Jeff's own work. And I say that because this past Monday over on our Blister podcast, we posted a conversation that Jeff and I had that was a whole lot more about skiing and the outdoor industry and ski and snowboard graphics and that type of thing. So now... There's less ski talk and more of a focus on, for example, Jeff's recent show that is running now in Los Angeles called Return to Stoner Forest. And relatedly, that means that we are also talking about Bigfoot and Yetis. We also talk about Jeff's approach to collabs because he does many of them and most of them are incredibly interesting. And we talk about the new film about Jeff that is airing at South by Southwest in Austin on March 12th. I'm still hoping I can make it to that, but we're going to see. And then finally, we close out by talking about a movie that Jeff and I watched together. The film is Tar, and we have some strong opinions about it. So that's how we wrap up this one. And I am quite confident that any of you who are very familiar with Jeff's work are going to be interested in this conversation. And any of you who maybe are somehow less familiar with Jeff's work, well, you're in luck because Jeff is incredibly thoughtful and funny and interesting. And so I think you are going to appreciate this conversation too. Now, a couple of things. We have now published a handful of podcast conversations with Jeff, and so we will include a link to all of those in the show notes of this episode. And then another thing, right now, probably the best way to check out Jeff's work might just be by going to Instagram, and his handle is McFetridge, and I would highly recommend that you block out a decent chunk of time and work your way through some of the many, many images that you are going to see because outside of going to Jeff's show in LA or his recent show in Detroit, well, yeah, we're kind of at the mercy of Instagram at the moment. And yes, I've talked to Jeff about Maybe we can work on this. Maybe we can get more of his artwork up on his own website. And (laughs) I don't know. I don't know if you felt very compelled by that. I guess we'll find out. And that then brings me to my last point. If you are like me and are interested in potentially purchasing some of Jeff's art, the best thing to do would be to go to his website, which is Champion Don't Stop. And you will then be asked what kind of piece you maybe are interested in. And you will be pointed to a gallery that might have something you're looking for. So again, the website is championdontstop.com. 
And yes, we'll include a link also to that URL in the show notes of this episode. Finally, this episode is presented by our Blister Craft Collective. This is a small but growing collection of companies across a number of craft categories that are outstanding in their field. These are companies that we love and that support the independent work that we do here at Blister. So we will include a link to the Blister Craft Collective. I would strongly encourage you to check the list out and then check out some of these companies because I have a hunch that they might become some of your favorite companies, just like they are ours. And now let's get to my conversation recorded at my dining room table this past Sunday morning. Here we go. All right. Well, it is Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Not the time I typically record podcasts. Also, I think the first podcast I've ever recorded at my kitchen table. Different vibe. Different vibe. I like this vibe. This is the morning show. This is- Welcome to the morning show. <laughs> it is the morning show. You have to be chipper. Yeah. Lots of jokes, That's sound right. effects. Right. Um, I'm only, I think I'm on my, this is either my second or third cup of coffee. You're, you're, you're I'm on three. Yeah. I think I can only podcast in the morning on the third cup of espresso. Yeah. I'll try to catch up. Speaking of coffee, we do just kind of need to tell the people, Jeff's pretty in on the Eura. This is another plus one for the Eura. I'm pretty impressed. Right? The, the, the quality of coffee versus the speed and ease of making it is kind of remarkable, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't have time for much more than Eura level speed. <laughs> But also, like, I've never been interested in, like, it's just like anyone who has a pod thing besides, I don't know. I don't like pods. Everyone throw pods away. Yeah. And I think even people who have pod things don't like pod things. They just don't know the Eura is out there. Hmm. I didn't know it was out there. Hmm. Yeah. And it's just like, has no waste. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. Grinds up beans, mashes them and makes a super fast cup of coffee. That's delicious. That's pretty good with it. Yeah. And as you, as you said, I've talked about it and you now yeah, feel the same crazy. way, the crema on top. You actually said like, man, how's my daughter supposed to get a job when she's out of college? <laughs> she's going to get urid. Yeah. That's, she's, she's done. Yeah. No, no, no. There's always going to be room for the like very good barista. I do very much believe that. But the crema on this is remarkable. I'm looking at yours. That thing looks like. It's just joy in a yeah. cup. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there. That's your that's your ongoing update in the whole what do we think of Eura and automatic? Do we have to tell makers? the listeners who I am or do they know? Oh, we'll get there. Oh, we okay. just raise it in. We <laughs> I'm a worried about the structure of this podcast. <laughs> what do you I mean, it's, it's our first morning show, really. So right. okay. Um okay, but since you since you mention it, Jeff McFetridge, artist, extraordinaire designer extraordinaire <laughs> skater skier former telemark skier not true current telemark skier which um if you've listened to the blister podcast that we will have aired two days prior to this episode uh we talk a lot more about um jeff and i just skied crested butte the last couple of days um and for the ski people out there 
or those of you who are coming to this more from the art side of things, but are curious about Jeff's ski life, well, we've got a podcast for you. It's called The Blister Podcast. <laughs> and uh, we just dropped an episode where we kind of really tried to keep it more toward the ski talk side of things. Yeah. But today on Crafted, we get to talk about art and the visual arts and what you've been up to. And I think where I want to start is with the show that you opened recently called Return to Stoner Forest. I asked you, you have not told me the answer yet because we were going to save it for this conversation. Jeff, where did the name come from? Um, so the show is currently up in Los Angeles until March 18th. It's at One Trick Pony Gallery, um, which is a gallery run by an old, old friend, Artie Nelson. And Artie Nelson is a writer um, who took over a space a little over a year ago from another gallerist I work with, Bill Powers, who has a gallery called Half Gallery, and he's had it in New York for probably a decade. And Bill Powers is another old friend who I met at around the same time I met Artie. And when I say old friend, I mean like from like 90, like late 90s, 97, 98. Bill was using the space. He has a guy, he was using the space in LA as like a pop-up space. So Artie took over the space, sort of like, I'll take it over. And he's like really involved in art, a collector, but he's never had a gallery before. But it's really turned into like a really interesting project for him. And then my history with Artie is, I think, kind of interesting. This is a long answer to no, what does Stoner I like mean. it. You know, this is, <laughs> but I I've been waiting much. for this. It, it relates to like my personal history. Like I'm very, like I've been, you know, it's like, you, it's like when you start cleaning out, you know, I'm constantly, I'm in a state of like cleaning my studio in some ways, like going through and working with the archive with my studio manager and like, like sort of creating this database. But what happens is you sort of like go through a lot of stuff. So it's like, I've spent like, the past two years by chance, like sort of going through a lot of my personal history through objects and documents and drawings and sketchbooks and stuff. So, and I don't know what the reason is for that. You know, it's just sort of happened. Like I'm sort of going through it, but it's like, there's a lot of things that are like, I'm sort of like looking back a little bit mm -hmm. at my own history. So already. So part of that was like, I found like a receipt, um, from like selling my very first, basically it was like my second piece of art I ever sold in Los Angeles at a gallery was to Naomi, Artie's wife. Hmm. And then like the third piece, I found a receipt that was like Artie buying another piece, right? Hmm. So like very, like from like 98 or 90, sort of like 98, 99. And then his, uh, Artie sort of like introduced me, like reintroduced me to Bill once Bill was showing and said like, when I was doing, the sort of new like acrylic, like very graphic paintings when I started doing them. Artie did a studio visit like as a friend. And then he told Bill like, oh, you should look at this work Jeff's doing. And that's when I had my very first show in New York called The Westest. The, the Westest. W-E-S-T-E-S-T. -E -E yes. Okay. I invented the word. Uh, yeah, you did. Um, so it's like as far west. So as far west <laughs> as you can go until you're so how far west is west? Like, are you up to your neck in the <laughs> Pacific or is it like overhead or is it just standing on the beach? Right. So like, what's the westest? So anyway, that's like a bunch of, that's like our like history. And so when Artie came to me, I want to have a show with you like a year and a half, like a year ago. Hmm. And the people he was showing, it was like, he was like, I want to have a show with you, Callie DeWitt, 
Wes Lang, people that were in his circle that he was like, maybe didn't show all the time in LA, but were sort of like part of Los Angeles, like our world a little bit. So I've been thinking about my show with him for a really long time. And like around the same, coincidentally, like I was having a talk with my friend, James Bond, who does Undefeated. Yeah. James, yeah. So he's a, like a sneaker guy yeah. who I've done a lot of work for Undefeated. Um, and he, wanted, he, he came, he's like, so my very first shows in LA were, I would say there was a, a number of shows. It's even confusing to me, but this sort of, for me, the iconic show that all my shows sort of melt into was this show called The Rock Machine. And it was at George's Gallery. And it was a lot of like personal history wrapped into like these images that were like forest scenes and Sasquatch Yeti images. And I was like sort of using this, I was like finding iconography to me that was like part of like my personal history. Like when I was a kid, people were like, I want to see Bigfoot. Like it was sort of like a real thing. Mm -hmm. Like you'd go camping and it'd be like Bigfoot vibes. Bigfoot had like a, we don't have, we're not in like a Bigfoot moment right now in the way that we really were. Yeah. So the rock machine, so the rock machine and Stoner Forest relates to exactly what you described, right? There was what, like Bigfoot by 1999, it was like, oh, Bigfoot's over. So like, if you're Bigfoot, you're this, Hmm. you know, crypto zoological icon and suddenly people like don't believe in you aren't looking for you Mm -hmm. aren't like doing specials on tv about the hunt for bigfoot you know Mm -hmm. so for me like bigfoot was this character that was this what's more lonely than being told you don't even exist right right it's a very lonely character and uh represented to me for me like i could sort of imprint him them with all kinds of things that for me were about growing up in Canada. Hmm. And one of those was um, like, I was traveling back and forth to Calgary a little bit. I think my, actually my grandmother was passing away. So um, it was like having all, it was like really heavy, you know? But the one thing I was noticing was like bangers were disappearing. So people won't know what bangers are, but that's what we call like headbangers or like, like maybe Heshers or whatever, like rock guys. Mm-hmm which I don't even know if there's a word for that now. Long-haired guys mm-hmm. and, and girls who like smoked and hung out and wore plaid jackets and listened to Deep Purple and mm-hmm. Pink Floyd and metal, right? And they were, I was sort of like comparing it to like the disappearance of this archetype. You know, they were like, it was like hip hop. Now hip hop was killing yeah. bangers, yeah. you know? All kinds of things were. And they're just, you wouldn't see them anymore. They're like, for us, it was like, there would be at least one kid in your classroom that was a banger. So that was sort of like, there was like all these things like in the show. So these are all the things in this show, The Rock Machine. So anyway, back to James Bond. He came to me and he, I remember talking to him. He's like, he wanted me to do like some mural for Undefeated. He was like, what if you brought back Bigfoot? It was James. Yeah. And I was like, and I thought it was really funny. Like, I was just like, that's hilarious. Like all this stuff on my mind, what I was working on, I was like, whoa, this is not what I'm thinking of, you know? And it felt funny, but then it also like, it just planted this seed. And I was in the, I was taught and I was like, that's weird. Cause I'm talking to Artie right now. And he, like, he was basically saying the same thing, but he didn't want to say it because he's a gallerist and he's mm-hmm. a, 
he's a he's like sensitive to like like it's a real balance when you work with a gallerist that I love hearing what a gallerist wants to see, but you also no, like you don't. No, I do. I love like I mean that's why I work with clients. Like I like notes. I like hearing input. I like hearing if you know like for Artie like what's his dream show, and, but he also knows like. He doesn't want to come and tell me what his dream show is because he wants also you, me. Yeah. He wants me to make my dream show. Yeah. Because so, we're, you know, this it's, a, this, yeah, it's this like sort this. of detente, right? But that's how it should be. And I think for me personally, and I think some creatives like artists might, what everyone's going to be different, right? I want to, I, I want to let you keep going, but we need to come back and talk about this, this whole you just said you like input. Sometimes I know for a fact you are like, that's too much input, too, oh. too much. So, but I don't want to interrupt you. We can come back to that if you're, if now's not the time to dive down that. Rabbit. Sure. Cause I, I, I talk in spirals. So like we can spiral Cause I don't know if that you you've come, even answered the question. No, I'm getting okay, there. Okay. We're getting there. Good, good. Keep going. We got, I got, I, I have got to describe <laughs> Stuart Boris to, is like, I'm like, what's interesting about it is it's like a historical reference. But it's like reference, it's like my personal history, so nobody knows it. So this is like the full backstory, right? But I think it's also interesting, like how does a show develop, right? Organically. But I, I maybe derailed you. So James was like, you should do something about Bigfoot. And you were saying that Artie was not giving, he was not going to tell you to do this or that. But so then I went to Artie and I was like, I just, and we're all friends like Artie and James go on walks in our neighborhood all the time. Like we all live like a mile from each other, literally, including Bill Powers. So picture all three of us guys. We all live within a mile of each other on different parts of this hill, this neighborhood in Los Angeles, which is just sort of coincidental, <laughs> guess. But um, yeah, and, and when I mentioned to him that Artie was like, that's my dream show. No way. Yeah. And I was like, that's hilarious. And for me, I'm still feeling like this is really funny. Like I'm almost playing a joke on myself. Like it feels like I'm taking something out of like a notebook from when I was a kid and having a show about it, you know? But then, so this is like a, like a year, like a year ago. And I'm like, okay. And I did a mural for James. And that, if you go to the, and I didn't really do a lot. Like I put a couple pictures on Instagram or whatever, but it's, it's the whole, it's the Silver Lake Undefeated store, which is a sneaker shop in LA is this, like uh, this, yeti mural that we did um like very graphic colorful thing and that was sort of like just cracking the seal on yeti and um so anyway i have a year to think about it like this like what is what is this show what is this like how do i because what i'm interested in is like how do i take that energy of me like some of my first shows like 20 whatever years old um like like, so this is from 2000, like over 20 years ago. But like, what's interesting is mixing that with like everything I've learned to now, like now, like it's been this ongoing wandering, but it's also going like, oh, what if a big part of thinking was like, one thing I did is after that show, it traveled all over the place. It went to Paris, to Colette, it went to Japan, it went to Seattle. Um, and one thing is I sort of, in many ways, like I went from that show and I didn't just then keep doing it. Like in the art world, like there's a tradition of like, once you have something that's sort of working, you just kind of mm -hmm. keep pursuing it. Yep. And I've always been, I think in some ways to a fault, like sort of like, well, what if I like flipped it? What if like, like I was like 
really into broadening everything. I was like, I, at that point I was like, I started animating and I animated some of the images from that show. I, all this, you know, so this is also thinking like going back, like, what if, what would be the, if I just kept doing that, what would it have turned into like a years down the road? You know, hmm. I made the work for the show and then I titled the show. And so return to Stoner Forest is there was a piece. So the show was called the rock machine, but there was a piece in the show that was a, a very graphic picture of a forest and the forest had a little Bigfoot in it. So you could look at this forest and be like, Oh, this is about, this is his home. And I called it stoner forest. Mm. Keep in mind, I've never been a stoner. I've never really <laughs> smoked pot like ever in my life. Like yeah. it's part of my brand. Like amongst my friends, it's like, everyone's getting stoned and just gotcha. not yep. like no one passes me yeah. like weed. Which is also, I think, part of why I like the name, you know, but keep, so I'm talking about headbangers. I'm talking about Yeti. I'm doing, drawing a picture of where he lives, but the image itself is based on, which I didn't remember this until someone asked me this question, where does that come from? And it was like in the nineties and me and my now wife, Sarah, like hiked over the hill, which is, you know, like we didn't live, well, maybe we did live there at the time, but. You know, we didn't live there at the time, but we lived close. We hiked over the, into the park in, in Griffith Park and hiked over this hill and sat in a forest overlooking the Greek theater, which is an outdoor amphitheater in LA and listened to Radiohead. And so you're sitting in the woods and you can't see, you can sort of see lights flashing or whatever, but you, you're just listening to it, but it sounds amazing because it's a natural amphitheater. And there was at some point, cause I had friends who were in the theater, I think it was my friend, Bruce Gilbert. And he was in there. And at some point, what's his face from Radiohead? Tom go, York. Tom York goes, he could see little flashes of light in the forest. And he says like something like, what's up with the people in the forest? And so for us in the forest, suddenly hmm. the, whole, every, the whole forest goes like, like starts roaring. And you realize, cause it was so dark. I didn't realize we were surrounded by people. It was full of people and it's like a horseshoe. So they all the, this whole forest around the Greek lights, everyone starts yelling. And then I guess for the people inside the theater, you're sitting there and you're like, oh, I'm in, you, they, no one knew there. And suddenly they're like, what? And everyone turns around and it was this sort of amazing moment. Hmm. So that's like what the, so Stoner Forest sort of comes from that moment hmm. and like the feeling of that. You know, like, um, I was listening to David Bowie and it was like memory of a free festival. And it was like this, like energy, you know, and like tying that into like the other sort of themes that were about thinking back to my childhood and mythical creatures and like the magic around us all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, how do you like capture that feeling of magic, the, you know, in the everyday. Hmm. That's pretty good. So this is the return to Stoner Forest. And because like in the middle of the O in the logo for Stoner Forest is the Yeti. Is the Yeti. So it's sort of like, oh, oh, he's going back. He's in the world, but he's, he's done. He's over. That's one for me. That was one reading of it. Going back to that sort of like loneliness thing. But it's like, oh, but we're going to. So wait a sec. 
the Yeti wasn't always still in the forest and we just stopped thinking about him. He came into the city sort of with us and we're all returning. It's well, not just he's been there the whole time. He, he didn't go anywhere. We did. We left. No, he, he's been there the whole time, right? But it's, it's like, I, actually, I don't know. It's sort of a good question. For me, it's like, I guess it's like, he's been, it's like Yeti as mythology or as like, like, it's like, he's an idea. He's a cliche. He's a, he's a trope. He's an archetype. Right. But to him, he's like, no, I'm real. Right. Yeah. So it's like these things, like words, themes, like ideas in our world. Right. They're floating around and we use them for different purposes. Like there's so many, like ever since I did that, it's like, there's all these brands now that have their logo is like a Bigfoot, Yeah. you know, it's yeah. like a sort of like cliche of the outdoor world. And um, it's like, how many beers have a Yeti, you know? And I think it's like, for the same reason that I was interested in him, it's like found a found thing. Like I didn't invent him and that's mm -hmm. the point. So it's like this place between invention and, and it's like how culture manifests, like people make money off Yeti, mm -hmm. like, you know, by whatever, making it a tourist attraction, making a chainsaw sculpture out of him, you know, or whatever. So it's like just culture. And it's like things that are found and things that are used or, but yeah. So him returning to this other mythical place, like I invented this graphic forest image that I call stoner forest. So he's going back to this, you know, it's like, he's going back to this place that like I invented. Hmm. Um, but like, it is because I'm calling a show return to stoner forest. It's like, you're going to go to this show. It's sort of like, you're going to. You know, like when you're there, you know, it's like you're going and there's like one in the main room of the gallery, there's these large scale sculptures. And then there's one um, work on paper that's like I painted how I would paint this forest image now. Hmm. And it's totally different. It's like, like uh, done with gouache and acrylic and it's sort of like loose and there's like different images and there's no Yeti in it. There's no Bigfoot character in it. And then it's just, and it's just like, like I sort of like psychedelic landscape. It's just a landscape. It's just a picture. And it's very decorative in many ways. Hmm. Um, and then the show itself. So that's answering your question. But like now if we're in the room, we're in this room and what I like, so thinking about like, how would I approach this now? So me thinking about this over a year, like I was talking to Artie a little bit and it was this, I've started doing sculpture probably four years ago. Um, I've always been sort of interested in sculpture and, but there's been a few things along, there's been a few moments along the way where I sort of had, I guess, like breakthroughs in sculpture or like real, like, like sort of like finding like my hand in, in sculpting things. Um, and one of those moments was I was doing this actual, this large scale figure for undefeated. Um, like, so you sort of see a theme here that like I use a lot of like commercial projects yeah. to experiment. Yeah. Like it's sort of like, yeah, I think I've okay. talked about that. It's like sort of like the reverse of what people would think. Like James is like sort of emboldens me. He's like, we have this store in Glendale. We would love you to do a sculpture. So I'm like, I'm emboldened. He gives me a budget. I figure out like, how do I make a, you know, really big sculpture? Like mm -hmm. it's like five by five feet or tall or whatever. Um, and one of the breakthroughs for that was like, 
I was drawing it and I was like, I'll do this like how people do it. Like you draw it out. And then I worked with, a, I was like, I'll work with like a 3D modeler to make a 3D model of my drawing. And I'll just like collaborate with this 3D modeler and we'll use these like sort of machine, like you can do it in mechanized ways, like use 3D routers and they'll carve out a maquette and then you'll make it bigger and then you'll, you know, and they'll cut it out of a, a solid material and then your sculpture is done. And that's like a common way, like large scale things you see in the world are made, whether it's made of stone, it's made of fiberglass, and it just wouldn't work. I, kept, I, worked, I went to two different 3D modelers, like tens and tens of hours of working with these people and paying people to do it. And there was, I went into my kitchen one day and I had this block of styrofoam that I don't even know where I, I got. It was part of packaging or something, but it was a solid cube of styrofoam. And I took a kitchen knife out of my drawer, like a serrated kitchen knife. And I just sat down and I carved the guy in my kitchen. And I remember it was after dinner and <laughs> um, eventually everyone in my house went to bed. <laughs> and then I remember like carving it and it makes like an insane mess, right? Oh yeah. I was going to say your like, wife, Sarah must have been <laughs> really stoked on this. She didn't know yet. And all I remember is like walking into, she was like barely awake. And I remember walking in and being like holding the guy. I carved him. I just carved him. And then I brought it in. I was like, look what I made. She's like, whatever. And I'm, so there's a trail of styrofoam from our kitchen <laughs> yeah. into our bedroom. Yeah. Like, and I have a studio, but whatever. Yeah. I think it's funny. And, uh, and it was like a magic trick because I'd already done the other thing. I'd sketched it. I'd drawn it from every angle. I'd worked with 3D modelers and then I just carved it. So that's like, how long is it? Like after, like have dinner at six go to bed at midnight, like whatever, you know what I mean? Like in just a, like, I let's say three hours. Yeah. Because even like, you know, and so I realized this whole time, like I was awakened to that the whole time I've been drawing things, painting things, I've been seeing the backs of them. I've been seeing the sides of them. Uh -huh. I've been seeing them. Seeing I just draw 3D. them flat. Yeah. Yeah. But part of drawing things flat, I think is you actually have to see it in 3D first. You have to know the back of it is there or believe that the back of it's there to make a super flat, you know, I'm most interested in making really reductive images mm -hmm. and paintings and like making them work um, for, for the, you know, for different purposes, but for the purpose of this sort of like, what's the most economic way to reach an endpoint. So anyway, sculpture that was like years ago four years ago or something i make a bunch i start doing other work my recent show that just closed in detroit was like uh cast aluminum like they're sort of small desktop sculptures and then the sculptures in the so in the front room of like for the main the show at one trick pony was um i just found the biggest blocks of styrofoam i could find which it turns out are eight feet by four feet by four feet. Like, so really big and, um, carve this Yeti that starts standing and he slowly disappears into the ground. Mm -hmm. So you see like one full size, the second one, he's up to his waist. The third one, you know, it's up to his shoulders until he's just like head and neck. And then just the top of his head shows. Mm -hmm. So it's like this transition. And that said, 
it could go both ways. He could also be spun around and appear, right? And I wasn't even, I sort of like made, I made a small scale sculpture of it and like I carved it small. And then and I wasn't sure until we put it in the gallery, which way it would go. Guy, we didn't know really, but I was pretty sure he was like going into the ground because he's going back to the stoner forest, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, like I, I've never, so I've never done anything that big, but at this point, like I've sort of carved a lot of things. I was carving in wood. I did a number of pieces in wood and, but I knew that the foam, so the exact same foam I used in my kitchen was what I wanted, which is like the lowest level, lightest weight foam that isn't used very often. Hmm. Like, cause it's so like fluffy and it's used in like the place it's used in, in like house insulation. They use it constantly made in California. Um, and it's, yeah, they use it for insulating and packaging and, uh, in like construction. Um, but it's unusual because it's so lightweight, but I knew that what it was like to work with, cause I'd made this tiny thing and I'd made a couple things in the past with it, but it's unusual to be used. And so it gets there and I don't really know. I'm all I know is like, I can carve it with a steak knife, hmm. but the other thing I have in my studio is a sawzall, which is that it's like a, a huge, it's like what you disassemble a house with. It's like a jigsaw where the blade sticks straight out. Yep. It's like super deadly. Yep. And, uh, and it's like a reciprocating saw, but it basically is a steak knife, a mm-hmm. mechanized steak knife. So then these figures, like, cause I knew how I'd want them to look. I want them to look snowy. So I just started like carving away, you know, it's massive amounts of removal. Um, and I figured out how to do it, whatever the process. And the one tool I had, was sort of like the right tool for what I wanted mm-hmm. to finish and then carve these guys. Hmm. Very cool hearing you talk about the actual process of this. I didn't think we were going to go there in this conversation and I'm, I'm glad you, I'm glad you did. Um, but the other day you and I were talking quite a bit about interpretation and interpretation theory. And we were talking about Michel Foucault and Jacques Derrida and Hans Georg Gadamer and their, um, theories on this stuff in, in large part, I, I actually think they're just right about how interpretation works in the reading of texts or the reading of visual art works. And so I wanted to kind of come back to some of the things that you were talking about with Return to Stoner Forest. And as you're setting that up and the notion of the Yeti, where sort of we all kind of move on and just stop thinking about the Yeti. And yet he's like, I'm, I'm still doing my thing. I'm still yetying. As you were describing this, one of the things I was thinking of was this happens to artists too. And companies, any company, any someone that becomes a bit of a public figure in some way or another, Mm -hmm. like there are, we talk about the 15 minutes of fame Mm -hmm. as, as one example, but, um, and that's kind of a, it's kind of a shitty thing, right? Like, oh yeah, that person like yeah. got lucky one time and happened to do something novel. Yeah. But there's no question that musicians, visual artists, rappers, skiers, yeah. on and on, they're like, n- almost no one has some sort of linear rise in the public consciousness that just always stays at this level or continues to rise over time, there's this the bit of ebb and flow or somebody had a minute in 
2012 and we've all kind of moved on yeah. and they're still here. Yeah. Did you think about that theme at all? And, and the answer might just be a simple, nope, not at all. But, but this, like, I, I think about it a lot with respect to companies and brands and, yeah. and, and probably more often with musicians. Yeah. It's like you captivated a, a certain musician, captivated our attention kind of collectively for a, a while. They didn't get like worse at their craft, but we've all kind of moved on yeah. perhaps. Did that come up at all as you were thinking through these themes? No, no, but I think it's like, I think I'm interested in, I've always been interested in work. Like I'm, I'm like a cultural artist, you know, like I'm interested in like exactly what you described, like the sociology of imagery, right? Like images that exist in the world. Like, so it's like, yes, people like Radiohead, right? Yeah. Like I don't listen to Radiohead anymore, yeah. you know, but they still have like this sort of relevancy. They've reinvented themselves in many ways. Um, but um, I'm interested in, I've always been, and I don't even know why, but interested in like having my work exist in culture. Like I like having an image in a gallery. I like having an image on it in a shop um, mm -hmm. for a brand. I like participating. Mm -hmm. And I think it's like, there's, I've heard people like early on when I'd get interviewed, I'd say stuff like, Oh, I like to go into a record store and see, go into this section of like, see the Virgin Suicide soundtrack and there's a stack of them. And I didn't really, but I was coming to grips, like that was sort of like making up a story of like seeing multiples of my things or seeing my things in the world. And I think it's like, that's actually not true. I was saying that because I didn't know how to explain like what I wanted to do is participate on this level that somewhere outside of like the art world but somewhere above the, what I really knew the, Hey, Oh, you know how to draw. Can you make me a snowboard? Mm -hmm. Oh, you know how to draw. Can you do a logo for me, mm -hmm. for my band? You know, like that's what, so it's like, what's like, do what I want, like maximize, like create, like what I was doing creatively, but like have it like participate in some sort of way. And that like really was a template for like a lot of art, like a lot of art, like in the world that like when I was part of Beautiful Losers or it was like, to me, it was art that like participated in different ways and in the world, right? So that's like a little bit what you're talking about. I feel like famous art, you know, mm -hmm. which means like, oh, famous art is art that not just people who are paying attention to the art world know what it is, right? And then, you know, I think like in reality, it's like you were talking about Foucault and Derrida because it's like, I know a little bit hmm. about it, but I feel like what I think you could also say is like in our world, like when this is more what I, when I'm making art, I'm thinking of like, what is like lost language? Like that's what I'm really, so what we're like, it's sort of like when I talk about like, like art existing in culture or something, that's sort of like the symptom of the art. But when I'm sitting down and making art, I'm thinking about language. Like I'm thinking about words. Like what are words, like when you read an old book or watch an old movie, what are words we don't use anymore, hmm. you know, or how do people like, you know, in the past, like if we went back in time, like people sort of talk funny when you listen to, when you listen to podcasts from 1890, <laughs> people sound different. Right. And I think that that sort of, that's the stuff 
I'm really interested in, you know? Hmm. I really like that description of like, you want to see your work in culture, but now what I'm wondering about is what's the difference between sort of culture and commerce, right? Because I mean, sometimes I feel weird about this. Like when I'm talking about you with friends of mine, or when I'm introducing you sometimes, I'm, you know, one of the things I often say is like, Apple invents the Apple watch. The Apple watch, a Apple is now the largest watch manufacturer on earth. That's crazy. And since everybody has an Apple watch, basically, you can go through and find these different images, pick like what you want the face of your watch to look like. And there is one artist whose work you can set as the face of your watch and it is yours. Yeah. That's cr still crazy to me. Yeah. And like I, we were talking about is like if you had a resume and you just had that and yeah. you're like, oh, so you're an artist or a designer and you're like, what have you done? It's like just that. It's like kind of a drop the mic. Yeah. But you have a ton of things like this. Yeah. And sometimes and the other thing is like when I saw you're like, oh, there's this collab with Hermes. Yeah. Like maybe the most important fashion brand in the world, arguably. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, what the hell, Jeff? You know, and, and almost sometimes I'm like, is this weird? Like, I, maybe it shows I'm a simpleton. I know these brands, right? We are consumers. We are sort of capitalist consumers here in America. Yeah. And I'm like, is it weird that that is the stuff that it sort of is so obviously resonates not everybody and almost actually nobody is getting asked to do those kinds of collaborations these massive companies and not just massive but historically significant companies are reaching out to you and sometimes i'm like is does jeff look at me like dude why are you only focused on these like or not only focused but so focused on these collab things i mean i've never been to one of your shows yeah yeah and actually, you don't make your work that easy to, we've talked about this. You yeah. don't make your work that easy to go back and look at like, yeah, yeah. if I wanted to go look at Every Jeff McFetteridge's yeah. work since 1998, I don't even know how I would do that right yeah. now. Anyway, but so hearing you talk about, I want my art in culture. And this is my, sorry for the long question, but how much does culture mean commerce? Because we Brands like Undefeated and Apple and Hermes, like we think a lot in terms of brands. Yeah. I'm done. Thoughts? Yeah. I mean, I think, no, I'm, I'm not insulted by like people speaking to, about me because that is like the sort of the really legible stuff. I understand that I'm almost the only, I'm the only person that knows everything that goes on in my studio. And then I even like, even my, you know, my studio manager, he'll be like, what is this? Huh. Like, Oh yeah. I didn't CC you on those emails. I'm doing these drawings for this book cover in Europe, you know? And he'll be like, oh, okay. <laughs> and you know, that there's things that are, but anyway, I think that like your point, I mean, I should have like an easy answer to this, but I do think there's a certain, I understand that one of the ways we like speak to each other 
like back to language, like one of the ways we speak to each other is through brands. Is right? it, I mean, now maybe more than ever. Yeah. Do you think that's true? Or or do you think we've just actually been on this track? I think probably now more than ever. Yeah, I think that, but I, I grew up in a time where like brands became like mm -hmm. this like vehicle for identity yeah. that people would adopt. So like, I'm like, that's like a polo jock, you know? Yeah. And that's a, you know, that's like a, you know, whatever, that's like a, like a, like an esprit girl mm -hmm. or whatever, you know? And that was like invented in my time. Hmm. And I think that like, I, like the, I think the power of those things I've always been interested in and playing with, like how it like my creativity, like can be applied to like the power of brands. Hmm. And like, sort of like early in the conversation where we sort of like, I like notes. Like I like speaking. I got like I also use those projects to experiment yeah. and like speak to the world and like get feedback and get notes mm. back from culture and the world, like what resonates. And and that is really like that's like part of like me being like sort of like being like like what what I do, it's like it's the solitary arts, you know? everything I do is like, it's like really solitary. It's like mostly in my head and working out ways to express them, like get them out and do things with them. So like working in that way is like this bear, you know, it's like sort of like shy people when then you give them a mic hmm. and they just go bonkers <laughs> and you're like, you're shy, but you're talking too much. It's sort of like, I feel like that's like me with like, with art and like graphics or something. It's like, just like, I'll, this is like, the, this is the quickest way to get things out, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that, yeah, it's like, I mean, it's like very personal and it kind of came about organically. And I think maybe someone else would be better about talking about it than me, but like, I've always, it's like something that I've always, I, it, yeah, it's like you're on, like for me, like, I don't know, like, it's like you sort of so much of what I do, like I, it really is this sort of like long game where it's like in the moment I'm trying to do the best work. That's like sort of like true to my own like thinking and like being like, will this, can I, will this work? Can I get this out in the world? It's like, it does. But like, I do feel like I don't really have like, it's, I don't know where it leads, mm -hmm. but it has led to the Apple watch working with Hermes, working with Amazon, Google, Apple, like it's like working with all, and I don't, it's not like a plan or it's like all these things just sort of like happen like organically. Hmm. So, yeah. I, man, I love it. And that you're, you use the phrase brands are vehicles for personal identity. Yeah. Did I get that yeah. right? That's just freaking true nowadays whether we like that or not whether yeah, whether yeah. saying that out loud might make us be like wait a minute that doesn't seem <laughs> yeah that sounds a little superficial or something it's just a fact yeah and um i really like that idea obviously there's like a this complex notion of like oh well the real artist doesn't care at all about commercial anything and and but here it's like well wait a sec if so many of us are finding our identities or like through brands or trying to use brands to create cobble together something of an identity. 
well, maybe that is then kind of important that artists are kind of also working in that medium as opposed to just refusing to interact there. Yeah. Because then what is the relevance of art? But I also think like, I think it's also really, you know what I was sort of getting to it was saying like, I don't have like an end game, but it's also this sort of long game. But like the other thing like I'm doing is like the whole, the big project in from the start, from like Stoner Forest on has been like, how am I going to go about doing this? How am I going to live my life? How's my studio going to yeah. run? And I've been very conscious of this. And at first I was like, oh, I want to have, like, I would take something from a gallery. I would have this show something in a gallery, do something for a client. And they were the same thing. And that was the first game that I was like, and then it was very easy. It was like, oh yeah, all my best work is developed as artwork. And then I take it and I use it for commercial projects. Like it was like I, Stoner Forest Animation became like an ad for Burton. Mm -hmm. It was like this animated, like powder run through Stoner Forest. And when I first did it, I was really like, oh my God, can I do this? This is crazy. This is like my art. Mm -hmm. And I'm like commercializing it. Right. And I was like, no, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to mess. I'm going to stir this, make this messy mud instead of just, which Artie said later, he was like, yeah, man, he, this was one of his notes to me when we were working, when we were talking about the past and working now. And he was like, I feel like me and people around me wanted you to be an art star and you went and started a business. <laughs> and it was like this great note sort of. And it's like, it's kind of true. Cause I went like, I immediately wanted to like, for better or for worse, like mess everything, like mix everything up. Mm -hmm. And the purpose was like, not, it wasn't like, cause I was like, I want to get rich. Mm -hmm. It was like, how can I perpetuate every side of myself. How can I like, I knew I loved snowboarding and that I got to do something for Burton. Like to me, it was like, Huge. this is the best yeah. brand in the world right now. Yeah. It was like the Hermes of yeah. the outdoor yeah. world. Yes. Right. Yeah. And I'm this young guy. And I was like, I want to, I want to participate. And I don't want to be like, no, because I want to be in a start, whatever, you know, it sounds absurd. Right. Right. right? Now it does. I yeah. was like, I was like saying no to a lot of stuff, but I was really saying yes to like, I need to develop as a human being. I need to grow up. I need to get stuff, like just do things. And like, it really is like, so like my studio now, like what we're talking about is like these aspects of my studio that are like in opposition to each other. And, but that also like, it's, it's like an ecosystem, right? Like, I think I talked like you need like, so I do, like I'll do a logo for a tiny bike shop in Arizona at the, literally at the same time I'm doing something for Apple or an animated thing for Amazon, you know? And it's like, that's what I like. Mm -hmm. It's not like, it's not, you know, like if I'm someone who like, when I make like the story of the sculptures, I tried to do it the way where you work with a fabricator, mm -hmm. but I wanted to make it like in the end, the solution for you is to spend the time. So what kind of studio can you have? Where you have the time, the weeks, to sit in your parking lot on a ladder with no help and carve sculptures. Because there's no one can help me. Like I'm always creating work where no one can help me. And that's like where I want to be. But to, to do that, it's like, okay, like, I, you know what I mean? Like I feel like there's all these, like that's one part of what I like. But then there's another part that I like that's like, like 
you know, like at the same time, I'm like doing new product for Hermes and like there's more ongoing projects. And so anyway, like I feel like that, that the big project is sort of like balance things out, but also like what, what's like a new way to run an art studio? What's a, like a way to like not be asked to do things, but to do things and like put them out in the world, hmm. not like never waiting. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's have the conversation about notes versus no notes, right? Because I stopped you earlier and you're like, you're like, I love a lot of notes and input and like people saying, I want this, this, and this. I was like, no, you don't. So clearly, and guess what I'm wondering here? Because there's the notion of creativity. There's a notion of artistic freedom. The more notes one starts getting, there's a bit of a reduction essentially of that freedom. And so I'm just wondering, like, how do you have a kind of personal sweet spot between if I came to you and was like, hey, you know, I want you to do something for Blister. That's it. That's all I'm telling you. I'm not literally nothing else. I'm not telling you what the image is, whether it should be a sculpture, whether it should be something on a volet ski strap, whether it's a hat. I'm not telling you anything. Do you have a personal sweet spot between the zero notes and over-determined notes where I'm like, I want it to be blue, you know, and I want it to be six inches tall and I want it to be, you know, two colors only. First of all, would you ever do that with me? What? Tell me that. Like, tell me I want it blue, six inches no, tall. No, no. But I mean, because look, you and I have been talking about this a little bit. And, but also because you know me, yeah. And the only people who ever come to me with projects are going to be like, well, I'm not going to tell him to make it blue and six inches. I'm going to be like, see what he thinks. Yeah. So, first of all, let's take <laughs> that off the table. So, for young artists, yes, someone might come to them and say, like, I want it blue and six inches tall. Yeah. But let's take that off the table. Okay. So, the reality is you would come to me and be like, we want to make some swag. Like, what, what would you do? And I always think it's like, it's like notes is one thing, but it's really like a conversation. Like, I'm not just going to yell at you. Yeah. I'm going to be like, oh, that's interesting. We should talk. And you'd be like, okay, we talk. And I'm listening. So, notes are like, I'm listening to you. Yeah. And then I'm responding. And when I respond, I want you to feel like, oh, he was listening to me. So, like, what I make is, like, sensitive to that conversation, whoever you are. Whether you're like, have like a knucklehead or whether you're like really nuanced and advanced. Mm. And but, but, but maybe that gets to the question, your preferred way to do it. This is a question, not a statement is I could come to you and say, let's do something together. And then I could say, what are your thoughts? Do you prefer that? The literally just let's do something together. You know, blister well right? So, what are your thoughts? Or do you want, hey, let's maybe do something together. Here are some things I have in mind. Those are two different things, right? One, use the first version, you start the conversation. It's, it, ver it totally varies. My favorite is when it's a conversation. When it's like, I'm talking to Hermes. It feels like a conversation, but it's not just me. It's like me Hermes me. It's like when I'm working with Norse projects, it's a conversation. It's like Norse, 
I'm interpreting a feeling for Norse pride. It's a clothing line out of Copenhagen who I've done a number of co- like uh, um, collaborations with. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's like what I think is what's sort of surprising is like I don't particularly like when someone comes to me and goes like, "Hey, I make X. I make cups." And they send me an image that's like my painting on, on a, a cup. cup. It's like, yeah, uh, I can make that myself. What, like, sure. Like, it's not like a compliment. Like, we love your paintings. We want to put them on a cup. We want to put them on my snowboard. We want to put them on my sweater, you know? Like, that's sort of, that's not why I participate in this, like, sort of commercial world. Like, from the very start, the animation for Stoner Forest was really involved. Like it was really difficult to make. It was a real challenge. It was, you know, there was this whole step that took place and it felt like Burton, but it felt like me. And that's like in 99. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not now like, oh, now I just license my stuff. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, it's like, I still want to have that. That's what's interesting mm-hmm. is exactly. this conversation. And you said it's the conversation and you then get to use that for the opportunity for you to go experiment. Yeah. So and you don't want to just like stuff I already did. Sure. You can yeah. use it for that. You can use it for that. This It needs to be a living new thing. Yeah. And I could just like, I could just never do, I could just have shows yeah. and sell art. I yeah. sell art and sell, you know, it, it would probably make more sense, but as a laboratory, to have the, to participate and have these conversations is like, it produces interesting work. Cause it's like outside input, yeah. you know? And I think it's, and even if it's like one person that like sees this, like something I make for blister and it's this, you know, that's blister as a unique person and it's like reaching them in some way and you get some feedback. I mean, you almost never get feedback from anything. So it's really the process you want there to be a process. So I'm like open to all kinds of processes. Um, yeah i think so yeah okay this is good for future negotiations thank you but yeah i think it's but i think that's important for people to hear that like if you're like a client or an artist either way that it's like it's not a like yes there's bad clients who are who are like you do something and you're like ah, my instinct is like this is it and they say like we don't want that but then it's like i very Partially because like I try to avoid the people I have obviously from doing something, I have instincts of who's mm-hmm. going to be like that mm-hmm. just by them, by their email to me, mm-hmm. by the conversation. And there's things we do in the studio and we ask, the first question we ask is, thank you for your interest in Jeff's work. What is it that you like about Jeff's work? Mm-hmm. You, It's on you. Tell me what you see. What does it mean to you? What? And then... You, and then you have a physical conversation. And so you're, there's like a lot of like, and I'm not sizing people up, but you're like, what kind of conversation is this going to be? Mm-hmm. And, so, and you know, you never know. Like, that's why there's this wide range of clients because I want to have these good conversations. They don't always come from the top. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they come from out of the blue. Hmm. Okay. You mentioned something early in this conversation that I think is kind of fascinating. You said that you have recently been going back through let's say all of your work at least kind of since since you moved to LA 1998ish were you surprised by what you found in terms of any 
emerging themes? Did it feel kind of linear to you? Were you like, wow, that's weird. I didn't really even remember that. Or did you start sort of seeing patterns maybe that you didn't recognize when you were living this work and creating it in real time? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's like shocking. One of the things, so another reason, so I realize like one of the things that's also been going over the past three years is a filmmaker, Dan Covert, has been following me around with a film crew for three to four years and interviewing me, interviewing my friends, collaborators, family, and he's made a feature length film on me. And he just, it just got into the, into the, um, the South by Southwest festival. Wow. So it's going to premiere in like a month. Dude. So I forgot that's, <laughs> I'm forgot. cleaning up my studio, but I'm also, he says, we're going through, we'd love to go through your archive and photograph things. And if you can pull stuff out, but photographs or anything that you want us to include in the film. So I went through everything. And then I'm also working on a book project. So I went through all my sketchbooks, which, you know, it's a stack of sketchbooks that is um, like shoulder high. Yeah. Like thousands. So there is a reason going through this stuff. And it is pretty surprising. It's sort of the opposite. Like when you look at like when you're, you know, I've had a lot of, I've sat and drawn for a long time. Like I just sit and draw. And that's like a very slow world actually. Like when I go back, I'm surprised. Like I'll see these sort of like loops where like, it's like, something happens and then it goes back and something happens and goes to back. It comes back. And it's like this looping, these looping themes that like move very slow. Like it's like the opposite, that sensation I think parents have or anybody has of looking back and be like, Oh my God, that was eight years ago. Yeah. In creativity, it's sort of like, Oh, like it's, well, it's the same or is it the opposite? It's just slow. It's like things take a long time to develop. Mm -hmm. Like even though I've done really a lot of stuff, like I have so much more mm -hmm. ground to cover. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like it's very slow. And I think it's, I mean, that's at least for me. And I've needed that time. Like I don't regret any time I've spent sitting at my table mm -hmm. in my studio drawing, which is strange because it's so much time, mm -hmm. but I've sort of needed it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so that's definitely something I've noticed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's really, I think it's really, as I sold to my friend, like, I think everybody should have a film made about them. It's a great experience. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Like, you know. Yeah. Cool. Cause it's like, I'm going to get right on that. Yeah. It's like therapy. Cause huh. it's like, you have to, you're confronted with yourself Yeah, and you're like, Oh wait. So now I'm like, it's like, you have to sort of take ownership of everything you've ever done. Everyone you've ever dealt with. Like you have to be like, Oh, I never like, I never thought, you know, it's like a, yeah. A, and I'm, you know, and I, I'm, yeah, and I'm happy to look back. It's not like full of regrets or mm -hmm. like, boy, I wish I didn't burn all those people all these years, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, it makes you glad. Like, oh, like I feel like, you know, like I'm glad for the way I've like operated and the choices I've made or whatever. Hmm. I think. Are you going to be a South by? Yeah. So I'll go to South by the movie, the movie's called drawing a life. Um, and it's really about what the title suggests. Yeah. It's my life. That's like grown out of like this creative project. Yeah. 
Hmm. That's cool, man. I yeah, for all the conversations we've had over the last like, I don't know, two and a half days, I can't believe this is the part where you you remembered your film in South by. So, man, maybe this is it's been a minute since I've been to South by. Maybe this will get me back. Yeah, you should, yeah. I'd love to come it's, out. It's um it's March. The premiere's March 12th, but it you know, it shows like four times or five times through the week. Uh, there's going to be a panel discussion for sure. Um, the film. Who's on a panel about your life? It seems like that would be a one person interview. Uh, there's a number of people that there's some people, I'm not sure exactly who's going to be on the panel, but it's like, you know, Dan Covert who made the film. Um, Spike Jones is a producer on the film cool. and he helped with it, but I don't think he'll be there. But, um, Liv Siddall, who's a writer, like, uh, and she's like great in the film might come out for it hmm. i'm not sure okay but there's a number of people that are yeah my friend andrew painter who's we've done a, like a 10-year photo project yeah he'll be there i think he'll be on the panel hmm. his a lot of his photos are in the film like document documenting like shows over the years that's amazing you yeah. you never cease to surprise me <laughs> even at the very end of an hour-long conversation <laughs> it is funny we've talked for like a thousand hours a thousand since hours never go- by the way that's not my style i don't i like to talk about I'm in the moment. You're in the moment. <laughs> so, wait a second. So, that premieres March 12th at South By. In and then Austin. you, yep, in Austin. And then you said, return to Stoner Forest. That show closes March 18th. Yeah. All right. Hmm. Just trying to play. I know. Sort of thinking through that program. Um, when does the one of the lifts stop spinning? Well, see, that's the problem. I think the lift stops spinning around April fifth, sixth, seventh. Right, Oof. close. That's yeah. prime. Oh, you're pulling and me the right. Late Colorado is always better. It's late so season, <laughs> always dumping on the closing day. This this will be a real <laughs> test of our of our friendship. Does, does does Jeff get me out of perfect spring skiing in Crested Butte? Man, all these events are ruining my ski. <laughs> um we got to do this in 60 seconds because we said we kind of teased it on the blister podcasting oh, you and i finished a movie last night we we watched tar that's right. the movie we did not name in the blister podcast <sighs> i'm so mad at that movie there there are brilliant moments in it but ultimately i'm so mad and disappointed in it Especially because I've been in some of my circles, I've been hearing like this might be the best movie film of the year, and I'm like, oh hell no, no, hell it's like no. when it's like and it's going to win Oscars, and you're going to be like, oh my god, it's so annoying. It's like why the Oscars are so like irrelevant. Like there's reasons for things to win Oscars, yeah, and maybe one of them is that it's the best film, but there's like ten other reasons things win, yeah. But yeah, what a what uh, like there's so like it's a really great Porsche car commercial, <laughs> but it's sort of like dramatic. It's like Porsche would be like, Porsche would have some notes. Like it's kind of like horrific for a commercial, but we're cool with it. Yeah. I think it will sell a lot of cars. That was an amazing last night. I'm like, I probably used some expletives and I was like, I think I effing hated that movie. And you're like, well, I don't know. It was a phenomenal Porsche commercial. And I was like, that's amazing. Uh, but we both agreed there were brilliant moments in it. It yes. seemed like that whatever got cut, I mean, it just seemed like a mess. Cut. <laughs> yeah, things needed to be cut. What a mess of a film and uh, with so much potential. 
amazing music. Like, amazing like on music. the upside, amazing music if you have a surround sound system. Yeah. Like it's almost like cheating. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, that for the people who were expecting to hear something about the film, I, I wish- know, and I feel bad now. It's at the end that you have to listen to this whole thing just for that. That's fine. They didn't deserve to go higher in this conversation. And I thought it, I thought it was going to be something that we were both excited to talk about. And instead, we both just left like, what just happened in yeah. that thing? Um, on that very random note, hey, man, this has been really fun. Really fun having you here in Crested Butte. And um, uh, now I guess the- ball is back in my court. So I will, you know, I came and saw you in LA. You've now made it to CB. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll pull off the Austin to LA move to be able to catch the film and the show before it closes. I'd, I'd actually love to do that. So yeah, it's going to be cool. Okay. Um, thank you, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I have a hunch we'll do, we'll, we'll talk again. Yes. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Jeff. And that brings us to the end of this edition of Crafted. I want to say thanks to Jeff for the great conversation, one of many great conversations, and for the great visit here in Crested Butte. Uh, Jeff, ball is in my court now, so I will either see you in Austin or in LA, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I also want to say thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode and thanks to you for listening. And if you enjoyed this conversation or any of our crafted conversations, we would very much appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or review wherever you get your podcasts and that will just help us keep this whole thing going and growing. So thank you in advance for taking 60 seconds to do that. And we will talk to you again real soon.